Hello, I'm Angelina. And I'm Martin. And this is the CX Cast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CX Cast. I'm joined by my co host, Martin. Hey, Martin. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Do you want to take it from here? Yeah, because today we have no guest. Angelina is our guest. So Angelina's been back on the road. Well, not really the road. Backing a keyboard, talking to people, doing some research on culture energy and how culture energy applies to frontline employees. So let's start with the basic question in case people haven't listened to previous episodes. What is our culture energy model? Let's define that first of all. Our culture energy model measures the perceptions of employees regarding their culture and how well the culture serves them. So while we can't directly measure culture, certainly not through survey data, we can look at proxies like trust in my manager, whether I believe leadership is making changes, how adaptable I think the culture is, how well I feel I belong in the culture, all of those sorts of questions, put them into a model and see how well employees believe they fit in the culture and the culture fits for them. And when we do that at scale, which we do at a global level, we can see the state of different roles, different industries, how high their culture energy levels are. And obviously the higher, the better. So does does culture, positive culture energy, high culture energy correlate with successful business results? Yes, that's and that's what makes it a model. We ran correlations as well as cluster analysis to make sure that the items not only correlate to outcomes like organizations that are customer obsessed or creative or innovative, but also that the items kind of cluster together and show that they hit on major themes like commitment to the employee and adaptability with the organization. So it's a model because it's not just assessing cultural fit, but it's also correlating that to intended business outcomes. So we've got a cause and effect model that shows improve one thing, get the results over here. Right. So in this research, what were you looking for specifically? Because you've been running this model quite for a while now, but what were you looking for specifically in this piece? Well, it's very easy for us to cut the data by different roles. Also, as I mentioned, different industries, different levels within the organization. So there's a, there's a couple ways that we have cut this data. We often cut it by levels within an organization, more senior levels, because we see a pattern there. More junior or associate level tends to score lower on culture energy, more senior level score higher. We can explain this because when you are more senior, you have greater control over the culture and you're succeeding because you are a cultural fit. So that sort of thing makes sense. Because you're defining, you're defining the culture. So you naturally fit the culture. You're defining, you're defining it and you've won in that culture. Right. Yeah. There's just positive affirmation all around that the culture works for you. What if we cut it by role that is customer facing versus we'll just call it back office generally in this conversation? Mm -hmm. Of course, that came up rather quickly because we have clients that run call centers. We have clients that run retail locations trying to manage various regions globally, and they are trying to influence the culture in these local or specific business units. And the very first question is, are the cultures different? 
Because if the cultures are different, what we're saying is the systems are behaving differently. So if we try to make a change in the back office, that system is going to behave differently based on that change than if we try to make a change on the front lines. And I will say too often, we assume we are one organization, one system that behaves the same way no matter where we are. And that's simply not true. Right. But well, that must be especially, well, I know it's especially true. I used to work for a big retailer before I came to Forrester. And you could see when you went to different stores, particularly big flagship stores, that store itself would have a culture which was distinctly, not completely different from the mothership, but definitely different, even at the one store to the next store to the next store. Yeah. And so I guess a lot of that is dependent on leadership within that local environment. But what did you find about customer-facing employees? How, how different was the culture from the back office? So the culture was at the culture energy level, at the summary statistics level, fairly similar. There was some slight differences in levels around, for example, adaptability. Okay. So we have four dimensions in culture energy. That's the cluster analysis I was talking about. The items clustered into these four dimensions. They're especially related to each other. So the four dimensions are adaptability, that does the culture change as needed, commitment, is the culture committed to me as the employee? Motivation. Does this culture motivate me to want to do the work and do it in new ways and help the customer? And purpose. Does this culture have clear shared purpose tied to it? Because you could have a culture that's doing one thing like, oh, we all get along, but we're not really customer focused. Or we could have a culture that's highly purposeful. We all get along and we're focused on the customer. So those are the four dimensions. And when you look at the culture energy levels by dimension, you see very slight differences from customer facing to non-customer facing, but they start to indicate that there are different cultures here. So for example, customer facing cultures are slightly more adaptable. They, it makes sense, right? We're constantly changing what's happening on the front lines and we're just expecting people to work with it. Or even the customer is changing and the front lines are used to adapting to that change. When the pandemic hit, right, there were a lot of external factors bombarding customer-facing employees, and they had to adapt. So they're used to it. The other one that is slightly different is purpose. Frontlines tend to be more purposeful. The customer and the customer needs are right there in front of them, so they get it. They get what they're doing and why they're doing it. When you get to the back offices, I mean... They may be purpose-driven as well, but because they don't have the customer in front of them as clearly, not as purposeful a culture. Slight differences, though. So we're talking cross-industry here. We're not just talking retail. We're talking any industry with a customer-facing component. Yeah. And we also cut it by B2B and B2C. We actually also cut it by B2B to C. (laughs) When I was creating the report for this, we had obviously more data than we were going to put in there. You know what was off the charts for culture energy was B2B2C, scored really high. But I ended up removing it and just kept B2B and B2C in the report because when you are reporting, and this is like a almost like a survey, survey methodology lesson, if someone is reporting in the survey that their firm is B2B2C, that indicates a pretty high understanding of their business model. So it actually messes with our data a little bit to assume like higher culture energy and B2B2C when it might just be the people who responded to that question knew more about their business, which also correlates with higher energy. So if we just look at B2B and B2C, a little bit cleaner in our data collection, 
then we see a marked difference between B2B, which actually scored higher in culture energy than B2C. What does that tell us? That tells us that there's something about maybe they understand their customers more deeply or feel more connected to their customers. Maybe they are able to adapt to business needs a little bit more, or there's just that sense of commitment. That's something we can explore later on, Martin. I mean, it's kind of a side note to see that the culture energy on the front lines was higher in B2B versus B2C. We could go into that for hours. So I guess thinking about it, it doesn't surprise me based on what you said, that somebody facing the customer directly, working with customers every day is going to be more energized and more customer orientated, obviously, than maybe a finance team or HR team. But having discovered that, what are the conclusions? What have you done with this insight? Yeah, to be honest, I didn't trust myself to interpret the data correctly. So I went to quite a few culture experts external to Forrester to get their take. A lot of them were seasoned professionals that had run call centers or been executives and now had, you know, transitioned into just being culture consultants and that sort of thing. And I got their take. What did you see? What are you continuing to see? What's changed? What explains this culture energy data? And they could easily explain the results of this data, why the culture energy was higher. They talked about how often when you work on the front lines, if you're thinking about your culture, you're actually thinking quite locally. You're thinking about your call center. You're thinking about your store. And that creates this bubble of culture that if I asked you on the front lines, hey, how do you think about your leadership? You're thinking about your call center leadership before you're thinking about your CEO in the back office. So. That's what makes the data start to change because they have this very strong local view, community-oriented approach. Here's a specific example. Often when you're on the front lines, you're not having one-on-one conversations with your manager. You're having these um, stand-ups. You're having team conversations. So if I ask if you trust your manager in the back office, that's a very different relationship. It's a one-on-one relationship versus on the front lines. It's part of a team dynamic. And that team dynamic central to that is the customer. So it just becomes an inherently different conversation when we're trying to make experience improvements or we're trying to improve the conditions, the working conditions for those employees. So I can definitely see that in a a store, a retail store or a branch or where they have processes where exactly like I said, maybe do a morning stand up, energize everybody, get them out on the shop floor or there's messaging coming through in terms of, okay, process change. The manager's role is slightly different. One of the things you mentioned about pandemic, so one of the things we've seen as a result of pandemic and digitization in particular is that if I look at contact center, we keep hearing this trend of we've automated all the easy stuff. So the calls that the agents, not so much in retail in the store, but the calls agents are getting have gone from like, what's my bank balance to, ah, yeah. I'm annoyed with you. You've made a mistake. <laughs> I'm ah, ah. So the, the agent stress level is going up. The customer stress level is going up. And that can't be a great place for the agents to be, yet they're still maintaining that level of culture energy. Right. So then we have to ask, this is, this is what happens when we have two different cultures and we aren't factoring this in. So from the back office perspective, we're looking at the customer experience, we're prioritizing the best initiative to improve the experience, and we think automation is a cost saver and it makes it easier for the customer and it's a slam dunk. And we automate that and we put all of our funding into all these automation efforts and we leave the frontline employees with these really hairy problems, which is not necessarily what they signed up for. 
So what they are becoming are these like emotional coaches for the customer. I mean, a lot of organizations now are investing in training certain cohorts on the front line to handle really difficult conversations. That's that's great if the employees are opting into that, but they might not have signed up for have these really difficult, complex conversations. That's a very back office, like headquarters thinking of, oh, they're bored with the repetition and they really just want to tackle these very complex problems. No, they want to have healthy conversations with customers and feel like they're doing a good thing. And if you're not helping to solve those really hairy problems and you're leaving them to increasingly solve more and more complex questions throughout the day, that's burnout. So we have to take more- It's burnout. Yeah, yeah it's burnout. So we have to take a systems- approach to this and factor in the employee in how we're solving these problems and ask them how they want to spend their day talking to customers because it isn't, I want to talk to grumpy customers all day with problems that I can't solve by myself. So one of the themes we've seen in a lot of our research, Joanna came and talked about this a while ago, is empathy and the need to empathize with customers. But actually equally you're saying the need to empathize with employees here about their role and what the, the kind of a, the emotional needs they have potentially supporting highly emotional customers. Where did you see empathy play out in all of this? You know, I actually had a firsthand experience recently with an insurance organization where the CX team sits in the call center and frequently walks up and down and talks and checks in with folks and just has closer relationships with employees in the call center. And the empathy grows from being there. If you can be in person, great. But it can also happen if, I mean, to be realistic here, because we live in hybrid environments, we live in distributed environments, you can have punctuated moments that help develop empathy or even help employees see that you are being empathetic or trying to be empathetic because it'll never be perfect. You always have a different culture, different experience. But I'll give you an example that one of these culture experts gave me. They were implementing a new tool on the front lines and an executive actually flew in the day that they were turning the lights on on it, that they were rolling it out, not to pep talk the employees that were going to use this tool, but to turn to the vendor and say, here is the culture. Here are some folks from the front lines that are going to show you what their day is like. We want to make sure that you are fitting this to their role. And I'm going to be here to watch and make sure that happens. So he wasn't suggesting he was a part of the culture, but he was facilitating this vendor rollout that was a very centralized move with the local culture and making sure he was showing he was on the side of the local culture to make that tool fit. So that's that's a different a kind of different leadership skill, a different leadership competency needed in this kind of space. So do you see do you see leaders evolving or do you see there's a need, a gap there? I'm guessing at the team leader level, not really the executive manager level. Yeah, it is a gap. I, I'm always surprised when um, I had a, a chief customer officer tell me that whenever she has a conversation with the CEO, they walk together through the hospital. This is a hospital system. Um, she always makes sure they're having a walking meeting where they're walking through the patient experience. That's a, when you hear examples like that as an analyst, you get excited because it's not always the case. It requires some planning and some guts and knowing that 
maybe the conversation has to be a little bit different than if you were behind closed doors, but it's conversations you end up having that more benefit the employee. So yeah, it's the exception, but it's it's not difficult to be present in these cultures and show a presence and show you care about these cultures and show you're not just trying to create one culture. That's probably the biggest mistake leaders make is saying we are one team. We're trying to make one culture. We're trying to all do things the same way. No, it's celebrate the different cultures and help them thrive. It's reminding me of, so I mentioned I used to work at a retailer. One of the things we used to do was a program called Out in Stores where Every head office employee had to work, I think it was three days or five days a week, every year out in one of the stores. And I've seen some retailers where like, the chief executive goes out and sits in a back office in a, in a supermarket and types away and does his emails. Great. No, we were actually, we were, we were, we were till trained. We were working on stacking shelves. We were working on receiving like stocking, handling customer complaints, the, the whole nine yards of what it means to be a store associate. Then the thing that did for me most Apologies, whoever's in the doorbell's just gone. <laughs> the, the thing that did for us was when we then started making design decisions about, okay, we're going to design the tills in a certain way, or we're going to design the loyalty part of the, the till processing in a certain way. You're actually looking at it, not just from a customer point of view, but a store colleague point of view about how easy is this to use. So I think that there's, there's some tools that we can use there to connect head office people into that customer culture. Mm -hmm. and bring that to life. Yeah. And the purpose of you working in that environment wasn't to create an environment of saveness. It was to understand that environment. Just like with the culture energy model, we're trying to understand the different cultures in an organization. We're not trying to create sameness across the board. That's a great example of an activity to do. There's dozens of them out there that just require carving out a little time, plan ahead before you are about to implement a big change or you see a big change on your transformation map. Take a step back and figure out how am I going to start by understanding a culture and then how am I going to show that I'm on this culture's side as we make these changes. So you might I'm pick up on something you said earlier on. Um, you mentioned about you mentioned pandemic and hybrid work, and we are, we've talked a lot about stores and branches and being in person. Was it, have you seen a difference between digital, like contact center stores, or people who do hybrid work? Does that change things? Yeah, so we uh, divide up our data by policy. So we ask about your work policy, whether you conform to that policy or not is a whole nother question. But folks either report no minimum for in-office days, one to four required in-office days, or requiring five days in office. And the middle option of from one to four days required in office had the highest culture energy, which was interesting because no minimum is kind of like employee decides what they want to do with their life. So you would think that having the autonomy, complete autonomy would maybe raise culture energy, but we're talking about culture here. We're talking about building culture. So our research is indicating there is some value in being in person in what ways you're in person, you know, so that it's meaningful, obviously matters. But we start to see the data decline again when you're forcing people to come into the office five days a week. So hybrid wins every time. So is that in-person meeting customers or just being physically with your colleagues? Yeah, we don't know. So, and I think every organization is different. Every customer relationship with an organization is different. And we knew that the B2B and B2C is also different energy levels. So we would want to dissect it quite a bit 
for an individual organization to make that determination. At that point, our data set's too small. But what I would recommend is taking your existing EX survey data, putting it in these culture energy buckets by looking at our proxies and do, you probably are asking similar questions. Put them in the buckets and see where are we seeing differences? Is there a difference in motivation when folks are coming in one day a week to talk to customers or is it not making a difference? And what is that costing us and what is it costing them? Because there's a cost to the employee coming in as well and create an understanding around the emotional cultural value as much as the business, the perceived business value. Because we go back to where we started, driving that culture energy model, driving the culture energy within your organization drives business results that you can show that. So this is this mm -hmm. is not because I right. think what, what I like about this is culture is often like, oh, it's fluffy culture. But actually, you can you can show no, no, no. This is helping customers. It's driving loyalty. It's driving retention. It's doing all those good things. Yeah. And then the activity to follow, which we've talked about quite a bit before and you've used before, is those four characteristics of culture. So, OK. Given where the culture energy is, do we know our shared purpose? Do we have the right behavioral norms? Are there artifacts like policies or processes that are getting in the way? And do we have the right rituals to support the culture? And that's, again, a very concrete way to work through, here's what our culture is, what do we need to change, add, subtract. Right. It's a system, like you say. It's a system. So question you always ask everybody else, where can people find you? Well, if you have an amazing frontlines culture and you have a back office culture that really gets it, so we've got two cultures working really well together, I would love to hear about it. And you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also reach out to my Forrester email, agenis at forrester.com. And if you have questions, reach out as well, because the questions teach me a lot about what direction to take the research. Appreciate any outreach in general for the CX cast. We love to see it. We do. So thank you, Angelina. Thanks, Martin. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com. And as always, you can find us at forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. So don't forget to like, subscribe, and tune in next time for more CX Insights. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com. As always, you can find us at forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com. And as always, you can find us at forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. So don't forget to like, subscribe, and tune in next time for more CX Insights.